0: Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. Hey, there are, excuse me, there are a few different things that I've, I've just learned that families have started doing as a result of the shutdown and the quarantine and all that. And so I want to share something we got into as a family. Have you heard of, by show of hands, have you heard of Jackbox? Okay, a few people have. Let me explain what it is if you haven't. Okay, Jackbox is technology. Okay, technology, what it can let us do now is amazing you basically can get on your computer or up on your TV screen this Jackbox platform. And what it does is it's, it's got a bunch of different games that you can participate in. And one of those games is called Fakin' It. And what happens is the menu comes up, it puts a code up there. You can take whoever in the room has a device, you can type in the code on your device, and then it will include you in the questions to the game, if that makes sense. So, for instance, uh, you, you'll have... You'll, you'll all be sitting in the living room, and it might beam out to all your devices. How many times have you gone shopping in the last month? And then you think about it, it does a countdown, and this game fake in it, everybody answers that, but one person didn't get the question. One person's phone says, you're the faker, just try to blend in. So hold up a number, you know, and act, act normal, because the goal is not to get caught. And so, everybody holds up their answers, and then they're going to try to guess who the liar is, okay? Creates all kinds of fights. It's amazing. You should try it. So, anyhow, we're playing this one day, and the, uh, we started this game, and Kara and I realized we forgot to enable the parental control on the game. Yeah, you know where this is going. So, it's me, my wife, Kara, Lainey, our 13-year-old, True, our 9-year-old, and Lincoln, our 6-year-old. Well... The question that hit my phone and hit everybody in the room's device except for one, and we we had yet to determine, was how many cigars have you smoked in the last two weeks? I'm like, okay, this should be easy to figure out, the uh, liar, because as far as I know, we're a cigar-free household. So, anyhow, it, it does the countdown. Everybody, like, holds up their hands for that number. I've got zero. I look over at my wife, zero. I look at our 13-year-old, Lainey, zero. I look at Lincoln, our six-year-old, zero. And you know Lincoln's lying because he's at that age where if he's lying, he's not hiding it. He's like, yeah, we're lying right now. Check it out. So he was straight-faced. I look over at True, our nine-year-old. She's like, (laughs) just bold, totally bold, serious face and I'm looking at her and I'm looking at my wife and I'm like, which one's lying right now? I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. So wouldn't it be nice if it was that easy and that simple to detect the lies we've bought into in our own lives? Because as we began talking last week and as we began this series, Before You Began, the whole premise is that before your job title said anything about you, before your bank account, before a number next to your name, before credentials and letters next to your name or social media or the people in your life, before any of that said anything about who you are, God did. And God allowed some things that tell you and tell me about who we are down to our core, And so last week, we discovered the first of those four. The first was that we were created in the image of God. And we just came away with this simple idea that the image, the image of our lives is determined by the creator, not the creation, by the artist who put us together, not us, the instruments. But as you'll see today, just a couple chapters later, excuse me, in Genesis, a couple chapters later, distortion entered the picture. Distortion entered the picture. And here's the thing most people I know, if they readily saw distortion entering the picture and messing things up, they would at least do something to get rid of it. But that's why it didn't happen that way. Listen to how Genesis 3, verse 1 says this distortion in our lives came about. Now, the serpent, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now, I read this, and I just thought, was it really a serpent? Because, come on, you and I, we see a snake, what do we do? We jump back, we run, we get away, or we do away with it, whatever it is. Like, it's it's a noticeable threat. Okay, so my theory is, and I was looking for the Hebrew word here, I'm thinking this was a bunny, okay? Because bunnies, and I'm going to get a little personal for a moment, those of you who don't know, bunnies show up on your lawn. And I don't know, just hypothetically, they, they sit there, and it's like they, they say, oh, pet me, pet me, I'm cute, I'm a nice decoration to your lawn, and then the sun goes down, you know what they do? They eat the lawn. That you've worked so hard to, to get to, to green and lush, and then you wake up, and they've pooped all over it, and it's destroyed. It's just a hypothetical situation, but it's a little bit of a personal one. So, that is how sin entered the picture, right? And so... We're going to take their word for it. It's, it's a serpent. It's a serpent. I just couldn't help thinking it's probably a bunny. It was probably a bunny for sure. But when it entered, it began to distort some things. And with that distortion came a few different lies that from the beginning of all creation, all all human beings have bought into at one time or another on some level or another. It's kind of like when you're watching the stars from your porch here in the city. You think you see the stars. But when you go camping or when you go out into the country, you see stars, don't you? And the same thing has happened with us. We think we know and we see our lives. And we think we know and see who we are and our identity. But God, he gave us in Genesis a picture of what has actually happened. It got distorted. That We don't see as much or as clearly as we think we do. And so I just want to walk you through, as we walk through Genesis 3, a few different lies that they're not going to be new news to you. In fact, you're going to recognize them as soon as you see them. But but you need to see how deceptive this distortion is. Verse 1 continues. The serpent said to the woman, Did God, here's that word, really? Did God really say? He's already casting doubt on God's word. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Now, if you notice, the serpent has already cast doubt on the tone. Did God really say? But he also, if you compare what he said to what God said, he changed it. He changed it. And that's that's one of the lies at work one of the first things that this distortion that happened before you ever began, you know what it did? It caused a rift in your trust of your heavenly father. And so the enemy uses it to say, really? Is that what really what God said, what he said? And the serpent goes on. You will not certainly die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So he's already giving human beings a reason, a reason to listen to him rather than God. But it gets worse because it's not just our relationship with God, it gets into a relationship with ourselves. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. This is this dynamic that uh, I, I'm not sure I can trust God, but I'm going to trust me. And I'm going to go off of what looks good. And as you walk through scripture, every single time there's a narrative where you got two paths and one looks really good and one doesn't, whenever they went the route of the one that looks good, things did not go well at all. It continues. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, why would they have to cover themselves? Because of the introdu- introduction of this second lie. Not just, can you trust God, but be ashamed of yourself. I mean, you don't have to think hard, do you? To come back to where, how that lie has operated in your life or the lives of those around you. Because this is what this distortion does that, we, that happened long before we ever began. It moves on. It moves on not just from our relationship with God, not just our relationship with ourselves and the person we see in the mirror, but with other people. Verse 8 Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And this is interesting. Listen to their plan. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Okay, who made the garden? God did. Who knows every nook and cranny of the garden? Yeah, God does. And so their plan, their brilliant plan is we're just going to hide from God in God's creation. Not that they really had any other option at that point, right? But this is what we do. We, we think we can outsmart because if, if we can't trust them or if we're not sure and we can trust ourselves, then we come up with brilliant plans like I'm just going to hide from God in God's creation even though he made it. And it goes on. It actually gets worse. God calls out, who, where are you? And the man answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now keep in mind, up to now, man, woman, they're in this together. Okay? They're hiding together. They came up with this plan together. God asks Adam a question. First thing he says, the woman, the woman, and he doesn't just stop at blaming the woman. Look what he says. The woman you put here with me. See, isn't this what we do? When we're, when we're afraid, we hide. When we're ashamed, we, we hide. And then when we're exposed, rather than take responsibility, what do we do? We point. And we blame. We look for somebody to point to and say, they did it. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman did the exact same thing. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. See, this is the pattern of a life that has been distorted and bought into the lies. We hide in fear, we get ashamed, and then we blame. Fear, shame, and blame over and over and over. And as you read verses 16 through 19, we're not going to right now, but as you read verses 16 through 19, God is outlining consequences for the woman and the man. For the woman, there was gonna be pain in childbearing. For the man, there was gonna be difficulty in his toil, his labor, and his purpose. And you read all that and you just think, oh my gosh, this is like the third chapter of the Bible. Like we're in trouble. But I don't think that the burden of those consequences is actually what God's getting at here. I really don't think it is. Because I want you to think about something. From from verse 1 through verse 15, what are they doing? When they're in fear, they're hiding where? Among the leaves. And then when they're ashamed, what are they doing? They're covering up with leaves. And then when they begin to blame, they're wearing leaves. What if the difficulty and what if the pain that God told them they'd have to face is to begin to take the leaves away? Because isn't it true that some of your most incredible moments of closeness to God have come when he had to remove some of the things that you had put in place to cover up. Because this is what we do when we're scared and and when we're ashamed and when we blame. You know what that's us doing? That's us grabbing a leaf and covering up. And we grab a leaf from a tree because that's convenient and that's efficient and it won't miss it. It doesn't feel anything. It'll grow back next season. And the difficulty and the pain might just be God saying, those leaves you're depending on, I've got something else. See, we, we live lives covered in leaves when we believe the lies of the distortion that happened before we ever began. We really do. I was reminded a couple weeks ago, uh, you guys know we have Upward Sports here at the church, and it's soccer season And uh, Lincoln, our six-year-old, all of our kids are playing, but our six-year-old came up to me and he said, Dad, I'm going to soccer practice. I'm so excited. And he's wearing his new soccer cleats. And his cleats are Puma. You know that? Does everybody know the athletic brand Puma? Okay. So he's wearing these Puma cleats. And he was so excited. And and I just, I didn't know whether to say anything. He said, and the best part, I'm wearing my poodles. (laughs) And I just sat there and I thought, Okay. Like, I played soccer when I was younger. We were terrible. But I played some other sports when I was younger. And I just battled with, I can't let my son go out thinking the mentality of a poodle onto the battlefield that is the soccer field. I mean, there are, there are striking competitive differences between a poodle and a puma, aren't there? I mean, a poodle doesn't care about a soccer ball. A puma will eat it and anything that goes after it. And so I just was going, ah. And suddenly I went, there it is the heart of a father who wants his children to see themselves as they really are. No offense to poodle owners out there, okay? But verses 16 through 19 may just be about not just punishment, but God putting things in our lives that will begin to take the leaves off that we have come to depend on. And the reason I know that is because of the two verses that come after this. And I have never noticed it until recently. Read verses 20 and 21. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And we'll come back to that. But listen to this, what God replaces the leaves with. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. How interesting. So, so when we hid, God thought of us. And when we were afraid, God thought of us. And when we hid, he actually, he actually pursued us. And when we were ashamed, God covered us. And see, we would cover ourselves, as Adam and Eve did, we would cover ourselves with leaves, wouldn't we? Because, again, a tree doesn't feel anything. No pain to the tree. It'll grow it back next year, next season. But God, God didn't cover with leaves. God covered with blood. See, this is the first instance where an animal had to be sacrificed. Something had to lose its life in order for human beings to be covered, to cover the shame, to cover the fear to, to get past the blame and the shame of all of it. I mean, can you just hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in Genesis 3? It's been there from the beginning of all creation. And here's the part I love most. I want you to think about the transformation of Adam here in these couple of verses. Because what was Adam doing for the first, the, the first big piece of this chapter? Fear? Shame? Blame. God? God? clothes them with garments of skin, of animal skin. And now what does Adam do? Read verse 20 again. Adam named. Do you remember in the prior chapters what was man's original intended purpose? Name. God said, have at it. Name everything. Go, name it. Pick a word. Name them. Name them. And look what Adam chose. Adam named his wife Eve. Now, if you were to look at the Hebrew word for Eve, I can't even pronounce it, but you know what it means? Life. How interesting that Adam, who hid in fear with this woman, who was ashamed as he stood in front of this woman, who blamed when was asked about what he and this woman had did, suddenly, with a new outfit, not not covered in leaves but clothed with life, he's back to his original intended purpose. And he looks at the one in front of him, his wife, and he says, life, living, good, nurturer. That's what he named her. How interesting. Maybe there's something to this, that all the difficulty and all the pain in life is God holding up to us the choice. You can go through life covered in leaves or clothed, In life, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf at the cross. What if that crossed our mind the next time we came up against the distortion and the lies of can I trust God and I should be ashamed or you should be ashamed or we turn to blame? What if that crossed our mind? Because this is Adam looking at his fellow human being and just one at the time and saying, it is good. This is the image of God in front of me. What if we became those people? See, this is why I have a hard time, as you hear about in the news right now, cancel culture. Have you heard of cancel culture? Cancel culture, honestly, I think has been going on from the beginning, but it's been highlighted especially in the last few years. Cancel culture, what it does is it roots out every terrible thing that somebody has ever done in their life, and then it disqualifies them and says, you have no value, you have no worth, you have no say. Now, should there be consequences? Absolutely. But God, God did not go cancel culture on us. You want, you want to know how I know? Genesis 3. I mean, this was a biggie. This was the one that would affect all humanity for all time. So Adam, Eve, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. And God chose not to punish, but to clothe with the blood of a sacrifice. And now he looks at you and me and he says, listen, I I know, I see all that stuff. I see the distortion. I see the lies you've bought into and maybe even acted out of. And he looks at us and he says, but rather than let you be covered in leaves, I'm not gonna leave you there. I wanna clothe you with life. What if we became people Who could look at the people in front of us, regardless of political stances, regardless of uh, just all the differences. I mean, we're hearing about them constantly, aren't we? What if we could look at the people in front of us and say, before I see anything else, I see created in the image of God. I point at them and I can say, life. God wants life. More than anything. That's your identity before you began. One story and then I'm done. There is a there's a woman. Well, well, the first time we gathered as a church a few month or a couple months ago was actually not for a Sunday morning service like right now. The first time we gathered as a church was for a funeral, and this funeral was for a woman named Anna Cabrera, who's been part of this congregation since before I was ever part of this congregation back in 1996. And I only came to know Anna Cabrera because of one day. I was a sophomore at Columbine High School, and I get a note in second hour. And I know I knew the color of the note when it came in. I was like, somebody's getting called to the office. Then I found out I was getting called to the office, and I went, I. Do anything? I mean, just the day before, it was like my fourth Sunday at church, I gave a devotional to the congregation here. It was terrible. So anyhow, there's no record of it. You can't even dig it up. You know, I'm not gonna. And if there is, I'm not letting you see it. So I get this note to come down to the office at Columbine High School, and you got to know, if you've ever been in Columbine, okay, the halls are long, and they're just massive, okay? And I'm a little guy. I know you don't believe that right now, but I was a little guy in high school, okay? So I'm walking down the hallway, don't appreciate the laughter. Anyway, I'm walking down the hallway, and I'm thinking, what could I possibly have done? And I get down there, and this woman that I came to know as Anna Cabrera, is sitting there, and I said, hey, I got this note, I got called down here, I don't even know what I did. And she said, oh, that was me. I called you down here. And I'm looking at her, and when you're 16, everybody's 18 generations older than you. I mean, I just was like, what did I possibly do to this lady? And she said, I was sitting in the congregation yesterday. Thank you for the devotional. And then she just said, he's with you. He's with you. I went back to class and totally shaken, couldn't concentrate the rest of the day. She was there two months later when I got hauled into the office for getting in trouble. And as I looked across, just a reassuring, knowing smile. And then in the years since, if you, if you knew Anna, she'd meet you out here in the foyer. She'd give you a hug. And oftentimes she'd say, He's with you. At the beginning of the shutdown, I got an email every single week from Anna Cabrera. Most of them typed in the subject line, not the body, just the subject line praying for you in the church, He's with you. In a few days before she passed, the family gave me this incredible gift. They said, Nathan, she's at Littleton Hospital. You know, people can only have one visitor a day, so we'd like you to take today. So I went and visited Anna. And as we sat there and talked, I just thought, good grief, there it is again. This is what happens when your life is not covered by leaves but clothed in life, given by the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross. We're laying there and I'm trying to talk to her about how she's doing and and eternity. And and she already, you know, she can talk about all that. She's been following Jesus for years. And all she wanted to talk about was, Nathan, he's with you. May we be people who can look at God's created image in those in front of us, regardless of where they stand, regardless of the differences, and look at them and say, There's life. He is with you. That is a life that, as the worship team comes out and we close in one final song, that is a life that is not covered in leaves, but has been clothed in life because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, even when distortion entered the picture and lies entered the picture, your heart for us was to bring us back. It was to not allow us to continue down the road adding more fig leaves to hide in the fear and the shame and the blame, but instead to remove the leaves and instead give us a new garment because that is what is needed for us to live into your original intended purpose. And so we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross in order to clothe each and every single one of us with life. We ask that you write that on our hearts. But then, Lord, open our eyes to that image of you in the heart of every single person we come across this week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming.